Cool. Welcome, everybody. Uh, thanks for being here for uh, this session. Uh, three of us to introduce up top. My name's Ben Feig. Uh, recently, uh, as of six months ago, in Durham, North Carolina, at the Como Road Church of Christ, the senior minister there. And I think we're going to introduce ourselves first and then kind of introduce the class. Is yep. that right? Yep. So, who's next? Uh, my name is Mick Beesbor, and I'm in New Braunfels, Texas, just north of San Antonio, south of Austin. And I'm the lead minister at the New Braunfels Church of Christ. I've been there for almost five years. Eric Gentry, I'm in Memphis, Tennessee, Highland Church of Christ there. I've been there seven years. And when you've been there seven years, you get a sabbatical, which starts nice. for me Monday. Right. God is good, so are my elders. <laughs> and uh, so I'm really looking forward to that. And I, so I'm like, in my mind, I'm already on sabbaticals, but hopefully I can be here for this time. I think it's going to be good. Um, love these guys a lot, and I'm looking forward to, to sharing with you all this morning. Ben. Yeah, so um, this is a class on spiritual friendships and uh think about who is this class for uh, we're all ministers and so we're, we're thinking about it as those in positions of ministry but we hope uh what we have to share is kind of helpful for anybody in positions of spiritual leadership or just really anybody who's interested in pursuing a deeper spiritual life and the role that friendship and community plays in that process um we were talking uh it's funny to do a class on spiritual friendship because that might make you think that we are experts in spirituality or uh, really good at friendship or or, or the fact that we're friends because i don't even know if we're friends yet. or the fact that we <laughs> like each other yeah. all the time or anything like that <laughs> might be part of that too uh I, I think we're all experts in trying to do ministry uh not from a spiritually centered place and i think we're all experts in having experiences of profound loneliness in ministry as well. And uh, because of that, we kind of find ourselves fumbling our way through, uh, finding different ways to do ministry together. And so that's kind of what we want to share. Um, one of my favorite professors when I was at Abilene Christian University is Dr. David Ray. And a line he said is, um, when it comes to the spiritual life, all of us are beggars sharing bread. Mm. And uh, so that's kind of what, uh, we found a little bit of bread that is sustaining us on the journey, and that's kind of what we'd like to share about, and we hope that's helpful for you uh, as you're pursuing your own journey. Absolutely. Oh, so sorry, when we were... Uh, Those are our qualifications. When we, yeah, we, I forgot about this slide. So <laughs> when we were, we were putting this together, I was just looking for a background. I find this, found this guy with a clerical <clears throat> collar there, which reminded us of this picture in the Pepperdine uh, brochure for Harbor this year. This is Mick, as you, as you recognize him. But notice his deep V-neck here. You, can't even, you don't even know how they deep... They stretched this my shirt. So, <laughs> <laughs> it was a normal polo, but they stretched it. I, 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 I just wear robes for a living. Uh, <laughs> it looks like it's in a robe. So <laughs> The contemplative life is wearing robes. Uh, most of what we do is just pick on each other, usually, so we wanted to include that. Uh, can y'all see that? Do we need to turn that light on? Is that yeah, let's turn the light on. It's like yeah, a little dark. I don't know that it's that important to be able to see or not. Oh, that's super dark. Okay. Yeah. It's too dark. Okay, well, just imagine it's loneliness. We're talking about a lonely picture there we found online. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm reminded of Psalm 25:16 that turn to me and be gracious to me for I am lonely and afflicted. And that loneliness is a, is a biblical emotion, right? It shows up in the biblical scene many, many times. And I think that as, as Ben was sharing that ministry can be particularly lonely, leading a congregation, whether you're employed by that congregation, serving there in various forms can be lonely. As Chris Smith was talking about last night, you're, you're going to disappoint people. Right, so that produces that distance from the people you're serving. Often, you often feel like you can't be fully vulnerable with those people that are in your congregation. And you know, one of the reasons the congregation exists is to be this community of vulnerability. And yet, and, and Mick's going to talk about this a little bit more. It's a challenge as one of the leaders of that congregation to participate in that vulnerability. And so, what that does is create a distance and loneliness for us a lot of times. My parents were in ministry for 30 years, and um, so because of that, I wanted, wanted to do anything but ministry, but somehow that's what I'm doing. And uh, I think largely the reason was because watching their experience, and they did great work in a number of wonderful churches, but uh, I feel, I mean, I think they would tell you they felt like they were out on the limb on their own, and uh, they didn't have those, those deep, spiritual friendships that were sustaining them they certainly had some you know people that we did life with we would go out to eat after 
Sunday morning church with a couple families and stuff, but they weren't the kind of deep, intimate relationships that were really sustaining. And then personally, I was feeling that as I was uh, in my early years in ministry, as our family was growing, my wife and I were having kids and more kids. So I was trying to do fatherhood, so I was trying to do ministry, so I was trying to be a good husband that I, I felt like I did not have the support around me that I needed to do that really well. And so I was feeling uh, certainly a degree of loneliness myself. And I think, you know, as we're, we're thinking about kind of how this got going, what we're going to share with you, I think it's important to start with where we were all at. And loneliness was a common denominator among us. Um, ben, I think you were going to talk next about loneliness. Yeah. Uh, Eric put together our final draft of like our outline and for this section he included some specific things for him and some specific things for Mick and then it just said Ben super lonely obviously <laughs> so I don't know what that means exactly uh, I was thinking about this though um, my call to preach and to ministry corresponded with the season of my life uh, which I was the loneliest and the most isolated and I think those things are connected in some way uh, I'd finished uh, undergrad at ACU and had decided to roll straight into graduate school. Uh, that also meant the friendships that I had built through those college years, which were deep and sustaining and really helpful. Uh, most of my friends got married or started a job, moved out, and I found myself in the exact same place uh, the next year just without uh, that community surrounding me. I also was in... Um, a relationship was actually engaged to uh, somebody we did not end up getting married. Um, but, and largely, uh, there's a whole lot of story there, but my contributions to that were um, just an inability to attach in a healthy way to relationship. And there's a kind of loneliness, I think, when you're in one of those difficult relationships where you're both kind of glomming onto one another to fill some sort of void that's in you that is deeper than almost anything. Uh, part of that was complicated by the fact that when we did break up, uh, both of us were part of the same small community in graduate school there. And so uh, rather than dividing out our friends, um, she had kind of a friendship network and support, and I found myself more on the outside, even in that community as well. Uh, and that's tough. Uh, and it's very hard um, when you're in a place where you're trying to minister to others. Uh, so much of what we want to do in ministry is to build safe spaces and communities where people believe they're seen by God and that they belong. Um, but you can't really share what you don't have. And uh, so that's a very difficult place to do ministry from. Uh, but there's, there's something about um, that kind of loneliness and isolation that I think all of us carry with us into ministry too. I know that has certainly been uh, the case for me as well. So, Yeah, and just to kind of piggyback off that, for me and my own story, I'm, I'm the older guy of the group, and so my story is a little different in the sense of uh, when I went to MDiv and ACU and started connecting with them and they became my friends, I already had a family. I was already working full-time. I've uh, been in ministry for quite a while. And for me, like I'm somebody who thrives in and with relationships. That's one of the hallmarks of my own ministry that I found to be successful in nurturing, developing, cultivating relationships with people around me. Um, but I was at a time period in my life before we started this where I, I was investing in so many relationships, and yet, for some reason, I was hollow on the inside. Mm. And I did not know why, I couldn't figure out why, um, because I, I value relationships, and I, and I felt like that was a, a source of formation for me, and yet, there wasn't going, I was barely staying afloat. It didn't help that it was a Thursday night, I was in a local theater production, I was, I was bribed by a, a church member to do this, probably won't do it again. Um, but anyways, it was uh, tech week uh, that night. We were already dress rehearsals, and I had some physical pain going on. I had a doctor's appointment the next morning, and um, that night, I got a phone call. It was a Thursday night, and my mom says, hey, you got a minute? I said, sure, mom. What's up? She goes, well, I need to let you know um, my cancer had returned. Um, she was in remission for 13 years, and the cancer came back as stage four terminal bone cancer. Um, it was uh, her breast cancer that returned in that, in that stage. And so I was pretty unraveled, and so I, I let uh, the director, theater director know, hey, I gotta I got go, um, I gotta go home. And so I was driving to my, through my neighborhood, and I was pulling up to my driveway. I noticed that there was a flood of water pouring out of my, um, my garage down the driveway. 
And so I opened up my garage, stepped in, and I stepped into about probably six inches of water. My house had flooded. And so that night, uh, spent all hours, you know, trying to reflect on my, my mom's condition, uh, trying to get water out of my house. Only for that next morning, I went to the doctors, and within a few hours, I found out I had cancer. Uh, so all that happened within 12 hours of the day. And um, that was probably both the worst and the best time of my life in this sense, where it, uh, whatever I was feeling, it just got worse. And I found out I was completely alone. Um, and, and I didn't know what to do about it. And my wife stuck by me, um, but I was just at a place like, what am I doing? And so um, I reached out to some people. I knew about a, a ministry called uh, the Contemplative Ministers Initiative. And so for me, I went in there like hungry and for community and trying to find it. And uh, that's when we began this journey together. Um, one thing I want to say about this is if you notice in your churches that uh, kind of the virtue of ministry, of vision, and mission of church is now the sense of belonging. In millennials especially, they, they want to belong, right? And so, uh, for example, many of us grew up in the context of churches where believing was kind of the primary virtue, and that's still important, especially among churches of Christ in our tribe, but we're finding out that this idea of belonging is even more important, right? We want you to belong first, and then as you belong in this community, then from there we'll work out belief you know, we're inviting you to the table first, and then we'll figure things out. Uh, for ministers, my concern is, is that we are trying to create an environment of belonging, and yet we ourselves <clears throat> don't belong. Mm. What do you do? If, if you're called to create a community of faith, of belonging, of welcoming and receiving, yet you feel like you're on the outside looking in, how long can that really sustain itself? Mm. Um, so loneliness was a key one, and then probably the next one for us was, especially where we are in our age, and just kind of, not just our ages in our lives, like families and kids and work, um, but just the age we live in in our culture is busyness and distractions, and so we also saw that, and ironically, right, the more busier we get, they're, they're synonymous. The more busier we get, the more lonely we are, right? The more screen time we have, the more lonely we are. So they're all working off each other. And so we were always too busy to find friends. We are always too busy to create community. And so busyness also became one of the factors that drove us to become more intentional about our relationships with one another. And you guys may want to speak a little more into busyness. Yeah, did you want to say something about it? Sure. I ran across this article as we were preparing this class uh, from the Atlantic. Uh, Workism is making Americans miserable. The, uh, Derek Thompson wrote it, and um, his thesis is that as religion uh, is on the decline for most people, uh, the fundamental needs that religion kind of helps us address, belonging to a church community and uh, having meaning in our lives and the greater sense of purpose, many people are turning to uh, work to fill those voids. And so you're seeing this trend where uh, people are working much longer hours um, than probably their parents did. Uh, but there's also been a tremendous amount of research that um, that's also making people miserable. Uh, again, it's, it's contributing more to these feelings of disconnection and isolation and, and loneliness. Um, but I, I sent that and as we reflected on it, uh, <coughs> Ministers fall into the same trap, I think, uh, that oftentimes in order to kind of address those fundamental needs we have to belong, to be rooted in God, to be seen, to be known. Um, and I would even those, say yeah. not only just like ministers, but institutions of faith fall into that trap, that yes. somehow the busier we are as a church, that that's better. Yeah. So like the more ministries we have or the more, and I don't know if that's been your experience, but our church of, you know, I don't know, we are 500, like, we feel like we have to have 100 plus ministries and somehow each ministry has to identify with some type of demographic in the area. You know, it's not enough to have a divorce care ministry, we gotta have a marriage enrichment. And now we better do a financial peace ministry. And now we gotta have a women's ministry and a men's ministry. It's like, 
And so, ironically, we think the busier we become, the more spiritual we become. But what we're finding out in our own lives, it's just draining. It just doesn't sustain itself. Yeah, absolutely. And so, and it seems that we're not alone. We sense other people are noticing this, too. Um, and I hope you all can relate to this from your experiences as well. Yeah, and so, um, yeah, so if, as you think about the, the loneliness that we're experiencing, perhaps the loneliness that you have experienced, that what's what's notable is that you know as members of communities of faith, like inherently we're surrounded by a bunch of people, and um, and yet, uh, you know, even that proximity to others was not a cure to the feeling of loneliness we experienced. And what that led us to is it's not just that we need somebody to call when uh, we get bad diagnoses and our house is flooding. But we need somebody to call to whom our connection is deeper than our proximity. Uh, that our connection is rooted in our life of faith, our you know, trusting God. And so at the same time that all of us were feeling those things, we were also on our own journeys as it relates to the spiritual disciplines yep. in life and God. And Mick mentioned the Contemplative Ministers Initiative, CMI, if we use that word a couple times, that's what we're talking about. Does anybody know what that is? Anybody familiar with that? So CMI is a ministry at Abilene Christian University where they gather ministers, small groups of ministers, to um, train them in the spiritual life over the course of two years. Really great program. So if you're, if you're a minister who feels like you're out on, out on the limb on your own, look up CMI. I highly recommend it. And so as we were experiencing that, as we were on our own journeys of spiritual life, we felt this, uh, and we came together at CMI, all those things kind of combined in that same moment that we realized what we're actually searching for is not just proximity to others, but a much deeper um, rootedness in the lives of a couple other people that we can rely on when it's when things go sideways. And so, you know, we try to treat our uh, loneliness with busyness, as we talked about, with distraction, and yet uh, that doesn't tend to that to the to the you know those the most profound. Uh, levels or depths of that spiritual loneliness that we feel. So basal or basal, depending on how pretentious you are. Uh, Obsessoria <laughs> said that the Creator arranged things so that we need each other. The Creator arranged things so that we need each other. So our relationships are actually um, defined by the creative pattern of God. Talk a little bit about that from a, maybe another <clears throat> angle, Ben, with um, the three jewels. Yeah, so I found a vision of sort of spiritual community outside of the Christian tradition that's been helpful to me. Um, and I think some of this came from, uh, there's a lot within the Christian tradition that's helpful too. We're going to talk a little bit more about that also. But um, in so many of our churches, uh, or at least from my own experience, uh, a lot of what we, we think is community um, can look a lot more kind of like codependency. Um, that we, we're in these relationships, but we really need the other person to behave in certain ways or to act in certain ways so that we can feel good about ourselves. I, I think about this in like my youth group experience, which was overall a really positive experience. But the kind of culture that we had there was uh, not come as you are, be who you are, let your guard down. Uh, it was a culture that was kind of like, we better see you here next Wednesday. Uh, we better see you here next Sunday. There are certain things we say. There are certain things we do. Uh, it wasn't really a space where you could really just be seen and known. Uh, so I was reading a book um, from a Buddhist perspective and talked about the three jewels in Buddhism. Uh, and this also connected as uh, we talked about in our own spiritual lives, thinking about spirituality as a path, following the way of Jesus. Uh, and I like Buddhism because I don't, I don't know what Buddhists believe. I don't think there's much of a belief system at all, but it is about a, a way of living, a way of life. And so we found ourselves wanting to commit to the way of Jesus, the way that Jesus teaches, but what are the supports necessary in order to pursue that path? And so in Buddhism, they have uh, three supports that they call the three jewels. Uh, one is the Buddha, that is not the savior, but just as an example of what you can do, so having something to aspire to. Uh, the other is the Dharma, which is the body of teaching. Uh, but the third is uh, what's called the Sangha, which is the community of people who are also committed to the way. Uh, this is from uh, Pema Chodron, wrote this, um, which I think is a helpful vision of community. Uh, she says, to me, Sangha is a central support in meditation practice. Sangha is a community outside the realm of our work life and our everyday life. 
a place where we refrain from competition and one-upping each other, which is helpful. It's also an opportunity to put the brakes on people-pleasing behaviors. Rather, we tell each other the truth of our experience. The image that's usually used in Sangha and Buddhist community is an image of everyone standing together and maintaining unconditional friendship. They are not leaning on each other. If someone falls, not everybody falls. At the basis of an enlightened or awakened society, there are individuals who are taking responsibility for their own escalations and spin-offs, their own judgments and prejudices. They are helping each other with kindness and compassion. They give food to those who are hungry, and they give help to those who are sick. By sharing your experiences on the path, you might be helping another person, not from an up-down position, but from friend to friend. And Sangha members do not have to live in the same place. You can pen pal with a fellow practitioner, or you can talk on the phone. It is hard to go at this practice alone, and participating in a community can make a big difference, especially when we hit those bumps in the road where our practice isn't smooth sailing. Um, part of that quote stood out to me is, at our next session, we're gonna talk a little bit more about uh, the experiences we've had together over the past three years with this, but that image of everybody standing together um, and you're not leaning on each other. So when somebody falls down, uh, the other people are still standing there. And, uh, and part of our experience in community has been, I, I have had several moments where I'm the one who is falling down. Um, but having friends who don't need me to be anywhere other than where I am uh, gives me permission to work through whatever I need to and grovel around on the ground and, until I'm ready to stand back up. Uh, and to know that uh, they, can, they can just hold space for that in my life has made a really big difference. And, um, and so I think uh, as we committed ourselves to following the way of Jesus, we realized there's just this need for who are the people who are also committed to this uh, to help us make the journey together. So that's a vision that I found helpful. Okay, so um, we, we thought we'd, we'd grab a couple of biblical examples as well. So I, I know the rabbi spoke about this yesterday, so the story of David and Jonathan. What I want to just draw your attention to here in 1 Samuel 23 is the description of the effect of their friendship. So what's accomplished by their friendship. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear. And... Um, like, I, I'm captivated by this line, strengthened his hand in God, and I don't know entirely what it means, but I want my hand strong in God, right? Whatever, whatever that means, right? Um, like, j just the reality that a spiritual companion could have that kind of effect, could strengthen his hand in God, whatever that is, uh, makes me desirous of that in my own life. And so in a, in a second, we're going we're gonna to share a little bit about how this group came together and what the group looks like, and we'll do more of that tomorrow as well. But behind this group uh, is this idea that not just that we encourage each other, challenge each other, uh, make fun of each other, but that ultimately what we're trying to do, maybe different than our other relationships that we have, is strengthen each other's hand in God. And we're exploring what that means together. I can't give you that real definitive example. That rabbi probably could, but um, we're trying to figure out what exactly that means. And then another example, of course, is Paul and Barnabas. And, and Paul and Barnabas, what, <clears throat> what they're really doing is <clears throat> ministry together. <clears throat> I'm sorry. So you've got a couple of examples at Iconium, Paul and Barnabas. They spoke so effectively, but a great number of Jews and Gentiles believe. So it's this ministry of speaking they're doing together. Uh, Paul, and this is 14.23. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church with prayer and fasting, committed them to the Lord in whom they put their trust. And so they're doing congregational leadership together, appointed elders for the church, and they're doing spiritual disciplines together, prayer and fasting. Uh, 15.12. The whole assembly, Jerusalem council, became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul, telling about the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And really what they're doing here is, is you know, the one way of looking at this is they're, they're witnessing to what ministry is, and they're doing it together, but they're also confronting, right? If you remember the context of the Jerusalem Assembly, this is a confrontation. And so they're drawing strength from each other to, um, you know, confront the churches that exist in that time to move it forward. And so there's a part of our relational dynamic as we process what's going on in our ministerial lives uh, that there comes those moments, again, like Chris Smith was speaking about last night, 
or you don't want to step step backwards. You want to step forwards and lean into you know difficult situations in ministry. And I think that each of us are better equipped to do that because of each other. Uh, Mick, <coughs> let me stop here. Any questions? <clears throat> we're kind of setting this up. We're going to get into the nuts and bolts. But Mick, could you talk to us a little bit about vulnerability? Yeah. Um, Here's that quote. You guys right are now. probably wondering in our relationship dynamic, who's Paul? Who's the wise, mature, <laughs> thoughtful pastor of the group? It's who's me. The oldest? It is Paul. Yeah. Uh, it's probably me. Um, yeah. I am older. That's all. That's about it. Uh, so he, he said, you know, for me at this point, I want to pause for just a second and invite you uh, to think about those seasons of leadership or of, of, of being in a ministry uh, where you've <coughs> potentially have experienced burned out, burnout, right? Um, where uh, you've been working hard on maybe a particular ministry or item and you don't have the support anymore. Um, or at least it feels that way. Um, so, so far, have what we said, has that resonated with you? I think I want to hear from you guys, uh, if you wouldn't mind opening to us up uh, times in your ministry, in your life in a community of faith where you felt lonely and why. Anybody want to share? Yeah. What's your name? Uh, my name is DJ. Yeah, DJ. Um, so I, I'm a youth minister. My the first youth ministry role I had ultimately got fired from, uh, which is great. Uh, <laughs> when you were talking about uh, the over-calendaring and putting events together, I mean, I, that was the meeting with Deacon and the elders was, we don't have enough events. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting here like spinning my wheels trying to create more and create more and create more. And I just remember, I'm, I'm listening to you guys, and I just remember feeling the more we created, it felt like the less we were actually connecting. Yeah. Um, and I'm burning out, me, I'm burning out a handful of volunteers, that I, parents that would actually you know, step in and help. And I'm burning out the kids, too. Yep. And, that, and so that, that loneliness kind of spread to everybody, really, because you know, we had that, we had kind of what you were talking about, that, well, if you're not here, like, you have to be here. Mm-hmm. You know, especially in teams, the dynamic of like we want uh, there's got to be like a, a nucleus. There's got to be enough, enough people there to make it worthwhile. And if there's not, you feel like a failure. And right. So, and then being asked to multiply out and fill up the calendar, uh, uh, it's it just completely the loneliest season of my ministry career. And then being asked to do where did you do ministry at? Like, where were you located? Can pretty I ask that? You don't have to tell me specifically your church, but close by. Okay. Okay. Like, like thirty minutes. What's the demographic of your church? Is it older, younger? Uh, kind of mixed. Uh, did you have friends at that church? No. There, there's nobody else that way. Yeah. And I was single at the time. Yeah. So that, so that probably so contributed too, as well, right? Yeah. That, well, yeah, that contributed because. Fortunately, we have a great network of other youth ministers around here. Sure. So that was, that was my outlet. Yeah. Probably with Kensington Ministry. But I just remember feeling like my job is on the line because you're asking me to do something that's hurting. Yeah. But my job is on the line because I don't want to do it. That right. Was, that was the really lonely feeling. So, like, I could, we could probably talk for hours about program, program-driven, consumer-driven yeah. models of church. But one thing I hear you saying, and I think that's important for all of us to hear, is ministry is more about practicing making yourself available and present to the lives of people. That's one of the cultures that we're trying to create at our church. And that's difficult because we've been wired to assume that, you know, creating events and that that is what creates success. You know, how many kids showed up to this? That's, that's going to be the metrics for success. But what we're realizing is what really sustains and keeps faith going is relationships friendships and mentoring so I appreciate it. Anyone else have a yes please? Uh, I actually had, uh, I forgot which one you said, I actually got into ministry the opposite of being isolated. I, mm. I was at a Christian school and mm. that group of friends Yeah. some of them were Bible majors mm. and 
I, I enjoyed that community so much yeah. that I wanted to continue. You wanted to keep that going. Wanted yeah. to keep that going, only to find out that it's ministry, not that way. <laughs> nothing yeah. like that. So yeah. I've had this recurring dreams literally for over twenty years yeah. of that school. Wow. And I think it's that idea of that's where I had that community. Yeah. And I've often thought about it. Uh, last year I went to a Bob Russell conference mm, yeah. uh, where he works with ministers. <laughs> right. And it was like. 10 or 12 of us there, and um, and we had to do an emotional profile test. And I kid you not, all 11 were far left, you know, in this ministry profile that's typical for ministry. I was far right. I mean, it was just as far right as you could be. And I realized that, you know, a lot of my struggle with uh, loneliness is, is my personality. Mm. You know, yeah. yes, the things you're saying are true. The, the busyness schedule. Sure. But, and yet it's hard for me to find other people, not only in church, but especially in ministry, that, you know, that, that share this same kind of perspective That's fair. that I do. And it, and it makes it, I mean, there are plenty of guys that I can hang out with and do stuff with, but finding that Jonathan or finding that David that yep. really gets you, um, that, that's hard. Yeah. And for us, that'd be that's part of our story is because uh, we're going to talk to you about we pretty much have a covenant community, and and we're going to talk to you about all the parameters and everything that we work with. But one of the things that we saw why it worked was we're we're pretty different people, like all three of us. In fact, we went into this. Eric and I, I mean, we we're friends, but we weren't like good friends. Ben and I worked together at a, a church in Abilene, and we were pretty good friends. But we're all very different personalities, and yet we were able to make it work. So maybe as we kind of flesh that out for you, that might be helpful for you, uh, because I think you're right in the sense of part of a spiritual friendship, creating a, a covenant like we've done, is the personality dynamics and how those work well off each other. Because I, like even here at Pepperdine, I have some really good friends, some of my best friends that I'm here with, but I don't have the type of... It's a different type of friendship. It's not better, it's not worse, it's just different. And the relationship I have with them, it, it part of the reason why it is what it is is because of our our personalities and how they feed off one another. Um, okay, so um, we're gonna keep talking about that idea of loneliness um, and, and how this is, you've experienced this yourself. And the reason why I wanna do this is because for us probably, uh, we're, all, we're all somewhat they're younger than me, but we're all kind of younger-ish ministers. We're trying to figure out a way to make this into a career for us. And uh, we're trying to work through this. And what we have found is, is that the things that don't sustain us in ministry is su success. We found that, um, you know, the home run sermon doesn't sustain us. Part of it's because I haven't hit a home run sermon yet. <laughs> um, and all those different things we've been taught, uh, what we're finding is, is what's sustaining us is these types of relationships. And if you don't have that, if I don't have that, I don't think I can last. So that's what I'm going to say to you. And I, this isn't just for ministers, this is for elders and anybody who is trying to figure out a way to live a more robust, vibrant faith within a community. And a, a step towards that vibrant faith is, is spiritual friendships. And one of the key virtues to a spiritual friendship is practicing vulnerability. Uh, there's a couple of different books that we have read over the course of the years about vulnerability. Uh, Dr. Brene Brown, uh, she has some really good stuff on vulnerability, so you can always look at her. But one that we read, and we'll talk, we have another group that we meet with once a month uh, that's a larger group. And uh, we all read this together, and it's called The Vulnerable Pastor. And Mandy Smith, uh, she's the one that wrote it. And if you've not yet read this uh, book, I would highly recommend it. It's a good book. Um, and she speaks into vulnerability. Um, but for me, the reason why I think vulnerability is a key category of, of, of spiritual friendship is because what it's ca causing you and calling you to do. And uh, we, we, I read this article from Missio Alliance, and I have the link if, if you want it, but uh, this, is, this is what this article quoted. The word friend is a disarming word 
that fosters childlike vulnerability. So the whole premise of vulnerability is disarmament, right? It's, it's trying to disarm you. It's trying to unravel you. However, vulnerability is something um, we fear. It's something that we find childish. So one of the reasons why we struggle with vulnerability and true spiritual friendships is because that word vulnerability, we've been taught in our culture that it's childish, right? I sometimes wonder if we hide behind using less personal words today. Think about your own church context, such as connecting or networking in order to mask our vulnerability. In fact, one of our ministers, his title is Connections Minister. And our, our hospitality ministry is wrapped around this idea of connecting people to the body of faith, body of life. And so when I read that, I'm like, are we masking what we're really about, which is creating a community of vulnerability? And this has the potential, vulnerability has the potential to reveal who we truly are. And so probably the first step to all of this and the commitment that we made to one another is, is that we are going to be as vulnerable and as transparent, as open to one another as possible. Um, and that, that was hard for preachers because I, I don't know about you guys. I feel like for me, unintentionally, I was trained to guard myself. I was supposed to be guarded guarded in my relationships, right? I had to be a different person at church and at home, and I just couldn't practice ministry that way anymore. Uh, and so um, we decided we we're going to commit to a journey of vulnerability. We're going to be open. We're going to be friends. And so uh, we all ended up at the CMI conference, and we got together we met a few times, and then the second time around, we got together, and Ben introduced us to a new idea, and I'll, I'll hand that over to you guys. Yeah, let's go ahead and skip this, because I think that goes better. Um, you know, Mick's talking about, we, uh, we all found ourselves in a place where, uh, again, we wanted to commit ourselves to the way of Jesus and practicing that uh, with a robust spirituality, uh, and so the resource um, we used was a Contemplative Ministers Initiative to do that. Uh, at one of those conferences, we were introduced to um, uh, some Ignatian spirituality and some different ways of praying that um, I think for all of us, as we talked about, were just, just really helped open up some stuff for us, uh, ways of engaging. Talking about uh, vulnerability is childish. Uh, some of the Ignatian spirituality is um, you're reading the Bible, but, but it's in a playful sort of way, um, and you're actually invited to use your imagination which is one of those things that we're kind of taught, well, once you grow up, you know, you put behind the childish things, right? And then you're a big grown up, and now you study, and now you dissect, <laughs> and now you do this. But it helped open up just um, trying to enter into a passage and just imagining what would it be like to talk with Jesus in this situation? What remember would it that, be like to remember see? Remember that story about the picture, the art picture that I had? We're oh, at yeah. this retreat, yeah. and I'm sitting here reading <laughs> a, a story of Jesus, and it's a story where the woman's in the crowd, and she's calling out to Jesus, and Jesus doesn't know who it is. Yeah. You know the story I'm telling you about? And eventually, you know, uh, she grabs him by the helm. Anyways, I'm sitting here reading the story, and I look, and I see there's this artwork of Jesus in front of me as I'm reading this text. And the eyes of Jesus in this artwork intentionally do not allow you to look at him in the eyes. Like the way the artist did it. So I'm staring at this picture and I'm going, look at me, Jesus. He wouldn't look at me. So I got off from my chair and I'm, if people are watching. They're thinking, this guy's crazy. So I go to this side of the room. I say, look at me, Jesus. And the artwork wouldn't look at me. And I'm reading this text for the first time in a different perspective, not from a, you know, a linear thinking way. And I'm, and I'm seeing this woman for the first time and she's calling out to Christ. Jesus, see me for who I am. See me for who I am. And I and I could and I and I, I felt that I was like Jesus, can you truly see me for who I am? Please see me. And at the moment, it, I couldn't get Jesus to look at me. And and it and it was an important spiritual moment for me to see how Christ truly sees me. Mm-hmm. And and so that's what this 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 contemplative, this spiritual life, entering into the text in new ways. It was such a profound moment for my own faith. Sorry. No, that's great. So we were introduced to these disciplines and ideas, and, and we all had different kind of life-giving experiences through that. And I also knew I am not going to do this when I go back home. 
um, because I, I'd been introduced to all that stuff before. And, and I knew when I get back and I get back to work and everything. But I thought I might do this when I get back home if I have somebody who's asking me if I'm doing this. And so, uh, so the first conversation was with Nick and Eric. Uh, since we were all had participated in that, I just said, uh, could we call each other once a week and just ask, are you praying this week? And, and that was it. And so we would call, I think on Mondays is what we did. And some weeks we would say yes, and we'd describe different things that were happening. Other weeks we'd say, nope, not at all, uh, didn't do it. But again, we didn't need each other to be praying. We just wanted to create a space where we could be honest about our journey with God. Um, so we can, that continued for a while, and at our third retreat, um, John Mark Hicks, who's here, came and shared some things with us and, and was very uh, transparent about his own spiritual journey. But one of the things he said is, uh, he said, I have two communities in my life that are filled with people who know the whole story. Uh, and when he said that, I thought, I mean, I have a great family. I have friends. Uh, I'm in a relationship, but do I have anybody in my life who knows the whole story? Um, I didn't really think so. Uh, but at that point, our relationship was such that uh, uh, we, we just found a little bit of time together at that retreat and um, said, do we want to kind of take this to a next step where we're not just asking about accountability, but to commit to being the people who will know the whole story and uh, to exercising a different level of vulnerability and transparency than we had. Um, and part of that came through the formation of a, a covenant that we made together um, that uh, I, I drafted actually at that first retreat and, and shared that we've been shaped. We wanted to share that with you all too, to show you some of the things. We're gonna talk about this more at our next session. Um, but part of what was critical for us in taking that next step together, uh, beyond just sort of the accountability of are you praying, are you staying in your relationship with God, um, was creating a, a safe space for ourselves. Uh, so we had some stated expectations and some commitments. Um, and significantly for us, these included expectations that had to do uh, with privacy, um, that had to do with consistency, and that had to do with accountability. Uh, and these were pretty significant for those of us who are in ministry roles, especially in Churches of Christ. Uh, privacy is pretty important because uh, we have to have space to work through stuff that if it got out, um, might risk some of our relationships at church or might risk uh, some, even our position of influence in different places too. And so we needed to know this was gonna be a safe space to hold the whole story um, and, uh, and not a space where we had to edit ourselves on the front end. Uh, consistency was important too. Just um, I mean, with any habit formation stuff, you, you just have to show up over and over and over again. And so, uh, we had kind of a loose structure, but we, we talk once a week, and sometimes we don't have anything to say. <laughs> uh, but we still do it, uh, because committing ourselves to showing up is uh, something that really matters. And, and in those moments where uh, there is a higher need, we already have the habit in place of knowing, I'm gonna have to talk with Megan Eric about this. Or, um, so that was something else that became consistent for us, too. Uh, and accountability, too. Um, in ministry and in spiritual leadership, accountability is an interesting thing because on the one hand, uh, we have way too much accountability because <laughs> everybody's kind of looking at you and, and needing things from you and expecting things from you. Uh, it's a very vulnerable sort of position to be in. And on the other hand, uh, so many ministers have such low accountability, um, especially in the more private moments and uh, kind of the real story of what's happening. And um, so we wanted to create a space of um, holding each other accountable to, to the, the genuine practice of our faith and a uh, space where we could be honest about that as well. Um, yeah, you guys have anything more you want to say about that? Yeah, well, I, I, maybe did I cut you off there? No, please. Okay. Yes. Yeah, well, take, take a look at this covenant and um, uh, you might read through it here. And uh, all three of us had a professor named Doug Foster, Dr. Foster, some of y'all may know who he is. 
And, and he's got this practice that if you've ever had him, you're, you're very familiar with, where he'll hand you something to read, and then he'll say, um, what, what sticks out to you? Take a few minutes to read through this, what sticks out to you, and then uh, you'll say it, and he'll look at you, and he'll do this while you speak back. So that's what I'm going to do. I want you to, um, to take a look at this, what sticks out to you in terms of this group covenant. A little uh, clarify that there's a date there in fall 2017 at the top of that. We actually got going before then. It took us a while to get to the point where we were, had this covenant down on paper. We were kind of working yeah, through that. Yeah, we started what, in 16, I believe. I think that's right. Yeah. So one of the things we'll recommend, especially next time, as you're thinking about forming a similar group for yourself is is that you do this on the front end, but but maybe that you don't come to that first meeting with a covenant prepared, but we kind of got to the place where we thought these were the most important things and codified it. Yeah, and for us, what was helpful was that we kind of wrote this together. Ben initiated it. He kind of got the heart of it going. Ben's our, our, is our community writer. Uh, but then part of, we started realizing that we started having more purpose behind our meetings together. And so, you know, that's when, we'll talk more about that later, but technology started playing a role. And so we could be more face-to-face. And so we weren't just like praying and shooting breeze and asking, you know, how are you doing in life? Now we started having a lot more intentionality. And we found with more intentionality and more of a framework for this spiritual friendship, that that's when we really started seeing the fruit of this. Like we're like, oh wait, there's something incredible going on right here, and and it start and I could start seeing that in my other relationships, in my church relationship, in my ministry, in my relationship with my spouse and kids. Uh, but anyways, so this was the first thing we did that I would have that I would at least acknowledge or consider as very intentional that we focused on together as community. Um, we wrote a covenant together. We committed to the covenant, and as you can tell, we also signed it. So, what sticks out to, to you all? Anything as you read through this? Is there anything that captures your attention? The word yeah. hold. Uh, uh, Mark, what was that? The word hold. 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 Yes. Yes. Hold. hold. Yes. Yes. Why does that stick out to you? Um, just holding each other's hearts. Mm. Yeah, back here. This isn't something you can just say, hey, let's have a retreat and pass this out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, like the preachers get together yeah. and say, hey, let's yeah. do this. Yeah. I mean, you guys have a friendship. I mean, how long have you really known each other besides coming together for this? Yeah, let me, I, that's a great point. We um, we overlapped in graduate school some. Yeah, some. Um, I was how traveling. Long ago, how long ago? That's, I mean, that was... Uh, 15, 10 to 15 years ago, I guess, total. Okay, so it pretty much took you a dozen years. No, no, no. Let me clarify that. So we didn't know each other, but we weren't close in graduate school. We knew who each other were. Yeah. And what brought us back together was not personalities that aligned well together or a deep friendship. It was the, the, the common feeling of loneliness, as we've, as we've discussed. But the sense we all had that loneliness would only be treated um, spiritually. And so, and Ben was just talking about this at the end, what ultimately brought us together and got us to this point was we wanted um, companions on the spiritual life who could commit to that. And so our, our personalities don't align exactly. I mean, Ben's super quiet, Nick is mean, I'm yeah. perfect. <laughs> and so, um, right in the middle. so uh, but yeah, that's so like we didn't just... I, I hear what you're saying. Like, you can only get to this point with guys you've known for 15 years. And that may be... No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, uh, you know, I'm not going to be able to... Get, I, mean, I mean, I've been I've been in ministry for over 30 years, preaching for over 30 years, mm-hmm. and 18 in the, lot, the same place uh, yep. where I am now. Awesome. And uh, trying to get together the people that I've known even most of the time that I've been there, because there's several other yep. ministries yep. there. Yeah. And just saying, hey, you know... We know each other, love each other enough to say, let's commit to this. Mm-hmm. It's just, yeah, I would. We're still not at a point. I mean, we would have to develop a relationship yeah. in order to build to this point. I would almost recommend. A spirit, excuse me, a spiritual relationship. Yeah. And I could be wrong on this or off on this because I'm not familiar with your context and your story. But for me, what was super beneficial was 
when I imagined a friendship like this, a community covenant like this, I would have, if you would have asked me, I would never have imagined it with these two. Right. Well, I, 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 I would imagine it with uh, my good buddy this or my good buddy that, that I've been kind of been, we've, you know, we, we, we've been roommates at Pepperdine Lectures or we've done this or we did this together, we played golf together, whatever it may be. Um, so if you had asked me four years ago that I would be here, sitting here up in the room with these two guys talking about our friendship, I'd been like, what? Like, I like Eric, but mm-hmm. I don't see that happening. And Ben's, he's kind of a quiet, nice guy, maybe too nice, um, you know? But I mean, so, so I think uh, my point mean. to that is, is um, I think my point to that is, is these, this covenant, this form of relationship, might, it may not be the people that you're thinking of in your, in your inner circle. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that's for no, you. I but, understand. Yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, something in the, in, obviously, in the title brought us all into this room. Sure. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. We do have the commonality of vocation. Yes, that's our commonality. And, that, and so that, that, you know, that's probably worth considering in terms of who you form that group Define with. That. Uh, Preacher, we're in ministry, preaching. yeah. yeah. Ministry. We're all in preaching ministry. But we're on different, you know, different sides of the country. We're not in the same place. You know, I don't think you have different to different churches. Different, different kinds of churches. Our churches look different, and so I think our our greater commonality was uh, the de- desire for this kind of spiritual authenticity, accountability, vulnerability. So as you're looking for people, I don't think you have to be best friends with them. What you need are people that align with that desire. And I think what you find is those people are out there, and if you ask them, you say. You want somebody to hold you accountable and praying, and somebody you can talk about your prayer and praying with. I, I bet they'd say yes. So, I, I think. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, I, I think Gilbert. commonality is probably deeper than vocation, which I know you've already said that. But uh, you can't you can't force this kind of thing on a on a friendship. Like no. I think, for, from my own experience, the commonality that has brought me together with people that I have this kind of relationship with is some kind of commonality of brokenness that we've all experienced. Mm-hmm. That's fair. Um, mm-hmm. Or uh, a struggle in faith that we've all experienced. Or sure. what it's, it's, the, it's that commonality and the ugliness of life that we find a common bond, and then mm-hmm. through that we both have a desire to want to walk in it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't, just like, you know, so I've gone through the CMI thing, just like you guys have, and your cohort, is bigger than the three of you. That there were more of you. Right, we're but the three of you in that group formed this group out of a group of what, fifteen people, twelve, yeah. um, twelve people. So the same thing in, in my cohort. You know, there were twelve or fifteen of us, but there has been a commonality among just a few of us mm-hmm. um, of a struggle mm-hmm. of some That's sort a great point. that has yeah. made us point. want to experience this type of thing together. That's and, a great point. Um, and so I think. You're, you're not going to find that until you experience vulnerability. Yeah. That's absolutely right. And I, I would say, like, as you think about the people you might form this with, um, this kind of relationship with, what you're probably going to be drawn to are the people who are already your close friends or people already in close proximity. I think the challenge of that is if your relationship has not reached this level yet, it's, it's maybe a stretch to think it suddenly will. Like suddenly the dynamic of your friendship will change dramatically and become spiritually robust and accountable versus finding people who you think have that common desire already and building off of that with them. Yeah, right here. I have a couple of questions. Since you're far away from each other, I'm interested to know how that works to Mm -hmm. talk. And then are there, because you're intentional, are there specific questions you ask or like how does that work when you're talking? How do you find these people? Yeah, that's a good question. Yep. Great question. Great. Great question. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about as some of how Trying we to get you coming back next time. <laughs> uh, but to answer um, your two questions were about how are you using tech- Skype yeah. or what? Yeah, uh, Google, Google Hangouts. Hangout. Okay. Yeah, that's what we found helpful. Uh, we also just use uh, conference call technology on an iPhone. Um, if, if, uh, All the, three together at the same time. Yeah, yeah. the video component is helpful. Um, and we, we stay pretty committed to once a week we touch base, um, but we also have a pretty soft, like if something comes up and somebody misses a week or two, that's not a big deal. Because um, it's not, we don't want shared guilt to show up to be the thing that holds us together. Would the other two still meet if the, if the one was Sometimes. Not? Occasionally. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Occasionally. Like, uh, like if I know Eric's out of town for a conference or something, Ben and I may just call real quick and yep. just check in on each other. Um, 
and also in addition to our weekly stuff, and we'll flush this out in our next class, uh, it, we have something called the rule of life, we'll explain what that is later, and they're different, but there's a few things that are similar. One of the things that we're all committed to doing is we even meet up once a year face-to-face. -face. So like this Pepperdine this week, we hung out a couple times, just us. Um, so there is, so we do find it necessary if you are from a distance to at least commit at least once a year for some type of face-to-face -face interaction. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I wanted to respond to the question in the back to you about yeah. how do you find these people. Uh, I do think the um, I think one of the big myths of community is that we build community out of our strengths, but the truth is we build community out of our vulnerability. Um, and so for me, as kind of the initiator of these relationships, uh, that's, that's what it took. I had seen enough of these guys to know uh, I like hanging out with them, and, um, and I'd seen enough of their commitment to Christ to know we're headed in a similar direction. Uh, but the first step felt... Um, you feel like a little kid. Will you be my friend? Um, and you have to go to somebody and say, uh, I mean, for me, it was, uh, okay, I'm not going to take my relationship to God seriously unless I have people doing that, which is not an easy thing to admit for a minister. Like, that, that should be what I'm doing, right? Um, but that's the truth of the situation. And so uh, so I think it was, it was a series of kind of vulnerable steps that we've had to take with one another. Um, you don't jump jump into the deep end. It's just kind of one after the next and to sense what the next invitation is. So that's been my experience is, uh, and, and to initiate those conversations, the early ones for me, uh, it was really hard because um, I'm having to deal with all my own shame and uh, shouldn't I be a better Christian than I am? And uh, just having to, uh, facing the fear of rejection, uh, going and saying like, hey, this is something that I really need and not knowing if that was something that they really needed. Because uh, we hadn't talked about that before. And so they could have said, man, sounds like you're in a hard place. I'm fine. Yeah, or I'm um, too busy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that would have been hard too. And so, um, yeah, so I think it's tough. So I, I don't know. I mean, we can only share our own experience with that. But uh, just from my perspective, it's just a series of small steps uh, where you just kind of have to put yourself out there and uh, and risk it and if our you know like personal experiences are at all normative which they're probably not yeah, yeah. you're not yeah certainly <laughs> um, but I do I do think most people are experiencing a degree of that spiritual loneliness that we started with and will be receptive to this kind of request and they're just waiting on somebody to ask will you be my friend, spiritual friend, right? Yeah. And even if, even if they don't have the language for that, or if they don't know that's what's going on inside, because, you know, we see our world's trying to treat their spiritual loneliness with busyness and distraction, proximity, and all the ways that we do too as ministers. And so I, I think that's out there, and you, as you, you know, take that step of, of asking, I, I suspect most of the time the answer you're going to get is, thank God I've been waiting on somebody to ask me this. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, was one of the things I keep hearing you guys say and kind of answering, helping answer your question. I think a big key for this is, for finding the right people, is the timing. Sure, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. For, for a long time, yep. the youth ministers in Southern California tried getting something together like this, and it wasn't until there were a few catalysts that kind of set things in motion and there was a core group of guys that uh, were kind of all in the same spot and, and really ready for this that that started yep. and, and yep. as that has kind of you know yeah. over the years that's changed a little bit the dynamics and stuff but um, I, I'm even thinking like me and my best friend we're both in youth ministry we've been best friends our whole lives the time when I was ready to actually engage in a community like this was very different than the time and, I mean we're talking six seven years apart and when he was he's now in a place where he's actively engaging in the community like yeah. this uh, and seeking that out. And so I think part of finding the people is finding people who are there at, at, at this time Same moment. Yeah. that are That's willing right. to engage in this. That's, That's good. Yeah, with that, it makes me think, as we've talked about it, like we did not go out looking for community. Uh, we went out in pursuit of Christ and we found each other on the road. And... Um, and so uh, that's, 
again, that's just been our experience, but uh, the community is what helps sustain us on that path, which is still the primary path I think all of us see. And the primary relationship that we're in pursuit of is not relationship with one another, it's a deeper relationship with God. Um, but this community has become a support along that path that, uh, that we find pretty vital. So like this first class, the whole purpose was just to introduce to you this idea that we, we all noticed that we needed a deeper sense of community that's primary aim was more contemplative and more spiritual. And so we initiated something. We are now three years into it, and a lot of work and intentionality has gone into it and a lot of failure has gone into it, and a lot of life has, has happened in the last three years that has shaken and at times disrupted severely uh, what we've done, but in that we've still been able to sustain and maintain our friendship through some of those difficult times. And so next class tomorrow, we're gonna walk you through what we've done, what we've been able to do to sustain this in three years because I don't know about you but I've tried stuff like this before with ministerial alliances and things and they last about one book or three months and they're gone um, and so we want to just kind of share with you uh, anecdotally and just practically some things that we've done over the last three years in our next class so Eric do you have anything else to share before we uh, thanks for being here yeah, yeah thanks, thanks so much guys. for being here tonight